Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hi, this is Wayne Saunders with the Warden's Watch Podcast, and you're listening to the Impact Outdoors Podcast. I look behind me because I hear a little noise, and just directly behind me is this game warden, all dressed in green with a Stetson hat on, watching us. And he puts his, just goes, shh, you know, puts his desk, and I'm like, okay, I'm, whatever you say, sir, you know, I'm thinking, and I'm like, I'm six years old. So dad's creeping up, and he, he comes up, and he's standing right next to me watching dad, and finally dad, the grouse isn't there, so he turns back, and he looks, and he sees a game warden standing there right next to me, so... He comes up and he gives us, you know, can I check your license? Asked how the hunting was. And, but, and then, you know, he walks away after checking my dad's license in the woods. We hadn't shot a fire, hadn't shot a shot, and there was no truck there to indicate that there was somebody hunting there. So for him to just appear in the middle of nowhere, it was just a, a strange thing. And I, when he walked away, I asked my father, I said, who's the cowboy in the woods? So, but when something doesn't feel right to you, go with it. Uh, and that day, it didn't feel right. Something was good. Something was going on. So I kind of slowly went under there. And unfortunately, even slowly, there was a guy there with that Stetson looking at me, posed with an AR-15, and it just boggles your mind when you see something that you don't understand that doesn't make sense to the mind. To see that somebody pointing a gun at you that looks like a trooper. And then he opened fire in his first round through the windshield and hit my badge. Uh, my badge, my badge was embedded into my chest, but the round was ricocheted into my bicep and out my shoulder. So I was able to put it in reverse, and I, I didn't really go back fast at first, but there was a store right there, and it was a nice warm August 19th day, and I yelled at the people at the store to get out of there because, and I said some profanity to them, so, but... Um, and just as I got that out of my mouth, I was taking one more rounds. And, you know, we all have trauma in our lives and have tools to deal with that trauma. 
is helpful. Does it make it go away? Absolutely not. We're human. We're all going to have that aspect. But to, to have some tools to deal with it, I think, is really important. And uh, to get somebody that has those tools, a counselor, and be able to talk to them and get those, uh, it's very important to me. And I think it's important that everybody's experienced it. So that's what we finished that with, with uh, Paula Booth, my counselor for that time. And uh, so I'm kind of passing it on again. This is, this is what helped me have a successful career. Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode, and man, such an honor to have Wayne Saunders on the show today from the Warden's Watch podcast. Wayne's a retired game warden from up in the state of New Hampshire, and um, just has such an incredible story throughout his life and to get where he is today, and and um, pretty crazy. We're going to be talking about all kinds of great stuff on this podcast, and I can't wait for you to hear it, and um, let's just go ahead and jump right into this week's episode with Wayne Saunders. Well, all right. Well, welcome back, man. I'm I'm so excited today. We've got uh, Mr. Wayne Saunders on the show from the Warden's Watch podcast, and uh, so thankful for you taking the time to be on here with us today, Wayne. Welcome to the show. Yeah, I know. Thanks for having me, and there's no Mr. to it. Just, just <laughs> ain't great. I appreciate that. Uh, I make the kids at college because I teach college, and I'm a, an advisor for a conservation law group, and I make them call me lieutenant still. So <laughs> I'm like, if you're going to be a game warden someday, then you better get used to this hierarchy. Right. So. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's good to see you. Thanks for being no, on. You don't have to and, call uh, me lieutenant, Derek. I just yeah. want you to. So, okay. so <laughs> man, so it is feels like it's freezing cold down here in South Texas, but what's the weather like where you're at right now? Oh, you have no idea. No idea. I, I got up this morning to negative 17. I asked Alexa every morning. I'm like, so Alexa, what, what, what's the temperature out? I just, I hate to hear it. So tonight's supposed to be, it's above zero now. It's like nine degrees and it's supposed to drop down to like 18 tonight. So we're, 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 we're starting to warm up. So yeah. 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 Y'all can keep that. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm I mean, I, mean I can deal with cold weather, but uh, yeah, moving down here on the coast, man. I mean, you just stay used to warm weather. And man, yeah. when it gets cold, it sucks. So, yeah, yeah, your but, body doesn't get a chance to acclimate to it. Right, right. Yeah, even with all the traveling we did at the holidays, we were up in Missouri and Oklahoma, and it still wasn't too bad, you know. But it's <laughs> definitely gotten colder here lately. So, yeah, those but, are north um, of you, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> north but, of me is Canada. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Arctic Circle. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, but um, well. First off, I know some people probably recognize you from being on Northwoods Law and, and stuff. And, and um, I really, um, you know, I've, I had seen that show, obviously, um, watched that a bunch when it first came out. And, and being out here now, seeing the progression of all the different law enforcement conservation shows that have come out. You know, we've got Lone Star Law down here now. And, and uh, where I work, I get fortunate to work with some of those officers down here. But, um, you know, I really want to kind of jump in and just kind of hear you've got a new book out that I want you to talk about, but kind of your journey, you know, growing up, you know, what was it like growing up outdoors all the time and, and what was your journey into law enforcement and how that all started for you? Yeah. And that's exactly what my book's all about, actually, you know, a children's book about my interaction with the game over the first time. But, you know, my father was definitely a hunter and a fisherman and he was subsistence. He wasn't really, you know, looking for the trophy. Any deer was a good deer. You know, we shot skippers, we shot does, we shot bucks, uh, whatever was available. Uh, and to be honest with you, the first year I ever shot wasn't even with my father. It was when I got into college, I got into bow hunting. My first year was a bow deer. Um, we didn't practice a whole lot shooting growing up. We, I think I thought I pulled that trigger and the deer was supposed to fall down. That, that was the whole game. And so we never really practiced a lot. 
we hunted a ton. So it was like every waking moment that, you know, we were hunting or fishing, we'd have bob houses, you know, our ice shanties out in the lake in the winter yeah. would be perch fishing in the summer, uh, just uh, always engaged in the outdoors. So I didn't do any, you know, baseball. I wrestled in high school, uh, but that, that was about it. So we were always engaged in an outdoor activity generally. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, grouse hunting with my dad, we went left from the house, went across the street, we were grouse hunting, just flushed a grouse. Dad's kind of creeping up on it because it just went up and landed like they normally do. Um, and then I look behind me cause I hear a little noise and just directly behind me is this game warden all dressed in green with a Stetson hat on watching us. And he puts his, just goes, Shh, you know, puts his, just and I'm like, okay, I'm whatever you say, sir. You know, I'm thinking, it. and I'm like, I'm six years old. So dad's creeping up and he, he comes up and he's standing right next to me watching dad. And finally dad, the grouse isn't there. So he turns back and he looks and he sees a game warden standing there right next to me. So he comes up and he gives us, you know, can I check your license? Asked how the hunting was. And, but, and then, you know, he walks away uh, after checking my dad's license in the woods. We hadn't shot a fire, shot, hadn't shot a shot. And there was no truck there to indicate that there was somebody hunting there. Mm-hmm. So for him to just appear yeah. In the middle of nowhere, it was just a, a strange thing. And I, when he walked away, I asked my father, I said, who's the cowboy in the woods? And that's the title of my children's book, A Cowboy in the Woods. And that's my, I talk about my first experience and Bobby Forrest actually does that. And uh, it's, a, it's a, a book, just not mine, but uh, an outdoor educator, Lindsay Webb, she has a child about that age. So we sat down and she did a lot of the writing and I did a lot of the critiquing and we kind of ground it out together. And then our um, artist, our animator there is uh, dating a game warden, Eric Hannick, who is a pretty popular Northwoods Lost show. Nice. Yeah, Ashley uh, did all the animation. So it's like a th- we're a three part partnership. And, uh, you know, I think it's unique because we have so many so much input into one children's book from, you know, wildlife professionals. So I think it's yeah. pretty awesome. That is cool. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that book is available pretty much. It's on Amazon. It's on, Amazon. It's right on wardenswatch.com. You can buy it there. You can buy it on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble. You can order it on that. So yeah, it's available pretty much anywhere. Cowboy in the woods, uh, the junior game warden series. Yeah. And we're working on one currently that will hopefully be coming out this summer. Awesome. So, yeah. So, is it, and it's, you know, it's kind of giving back, Derek. It's, yeah. you know, sharing my experiences. Hopefully somebody young will pick up that torch and, and carry it on. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. and, and, you know, your line of work, and then I'm, I've been on the science, the research side of it, you know, doing the field collection and stuff for fisheries. And, and um, that's always um, a huge thing is educating people on what we do, which is, you know, kind of hard. You don't, I mean, I kind of struggle with the not telling people what we do, but just, you know, that it's not more out there freely for people. I mean, most people have no clue yeah. what a game warden really does or what we do as biologists or whatever. Yeah. We're our own worst enemies most of the time because most of us don't like to talk. So when we get a few of us that do like to talk, we got to spread this message and we got to reach those people that generally don't listen because you're, you're absolutely right. They, they, they don't know. Uh, and I think 50 years ago, it was a whole different story because everybody knew the game warden in town. So as we yeah. became more city related, more, you know, rural, I wouldn't even say rural, more just living outside the cities and, and suburbia, mm-hmm. uh, we, we lost contact with our wildlife. We've lost contact with our roots. You're still your local towns always know your game warden. Uh, half the time they know the schedule and everything else if they're hunters. <laughs> yeah. So, but 
yeah, we're losing touch. So we got to reach those people that generally don't. Northwoods Law, Lone Star Law, those are fabulous ways to reach the public. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm struggling with, uh, I see that those shows may be going by the wayside. I, I will say that because, uh, you know, Animal Planet hasn't renewed some of those contracts. So mm -hmm. I'm pretty, uh, pretty disappointed that that, that, yeah. that isn't, you know, they were like number one shows, number two shows and, you know, to, to, to not up it because of whatever reason, I, I'd like to hear a reason, I'd like yeah, to say exactly. why we're not doing it. And they never really come out and said, we're canceling because um, they don't want to do that because it's really popular. There's mm -hmm. a good fan club that follows that, but what an awesome way to reach the masses, including with social media, the things that come along with it. And then some of the things I really don't like, I, I, I could leave that social media, by the wayside, believe me, it's a lot of work that I don't really care for. I like podcasting. I don't like the social media, but it kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah, it does. I'm the same way. I'm, I'm terrible about getting posts up and, and doing all yeah. that and, and uh, really need to find somebody to help with that side of things. But yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, but doing this is, has been great. So, yeah. um, you know, and I think going back to what, what you're saying about the shows and just education side of what, you know, people see you doing versus what you're actually doing and that kind of thing is like you know it's really i don't know just law enforcement in general right now just it seems to have a black cloud over it you know for a lot of people just because of the mm -hmm. media and way yes. it's covered and people just don't realize you know what you know what people are actually out there doing in law enforcement and stuff and and um so i've always been supportive of that i think i told you before um we even did this you know my growing up i was really interested in law enforcement and stuff and and um, um was in the police explorers program in my hometown for about five or six years and um all the way into college till i aged out of that and then um got acquainted with the local game warden um there at oklahoma state in Payne county where i was going to school at and um and they started offering a, a law enforcement conservation course and so man i jumped all over that and uh, that was the path I was going down, you know, and they ended up moving where I'm at now. But um, how did that transpire for you? Like, where did you go to school at and, and that kind of thing going into the game? Or, and, and do y'all have up there? I mean, was it an academy or was it just like a state police type thing once you got accepted in that you had to go qualify on or? Right. So I started off going to the State University of New York at uh, Cobleskill which is uh, between Albany and Binghamton, New York. It's a very agricultural based uh, college, which was awesome. A lot of my friends were farmers, uh, horticulturists, uh, things like that. So those are the types of people that were there, which was great because we had a good connection. Um, I got a degree from there. And then I moved on working for the National Park Service and I bounced all around the country working for the Park Service and U.S. Fish and Wildlife as a refuge officer experiencing life in the United States. It's, it's such a great thing. You visit a place for a week or so, you know, you don't really get the flavor. You get a little bit. But when you spend, you know, three to six months in a spot, you, you get that flavor of people, the type of people that um, you know, came like the, the Swedes up in, up in Minnesota and that Wisconsin area and how their cultural, you know, really came into it. And it was just very interesting to me to, to travel around the country, West Virginia, the same, uh, just experiencing the people was, it was a pretty awesome thing. And 
the outside the natural world it was great i was in new river gorge west virginia there is no cooler place uh <laughs> that you can whitewater raft you can rock climb we were doing search and rescues on a daily basis it was uh it was very very busy i'm sure it still is today because it, it still has those draws and so many more people are doing those types of activities mm-hmm. um yeah just bouncing around the country and back then being a game warden was a tough gig i mean there was I think I tested with over a thousand people and, and I was testing everywhere I was going because wow. I just wanted a game warden job. I didn't care where it was at that point, but I ended up getting a job in New Hampshire, uh, my home state, which is pretty epic. Uh, I, I was in finals for Maine and Virginia. New Hampshire came through with an offer first and I said, yes, absolutely. So wow. I came home, which uh, was, was great. And how many officers do y'all have in New Hampshire right like currently do you know yeah it's like 42 or 43 and that's 42, county 43. command staff yeah so you're, you're gonna take like six or seven so is it, command staff and it gets pretty thin yeah is it divided up in like by counties like game it is not so many counties or is it just regions we divided the state in what we call districts so okay. there's six districts in the state district six is a seacoast district one is the most northern region where i did my career and we divided up uh, district one actually is Coas County. It, that's, that's what it is. But every other district has a couple counties, maybe sometimes three counties in it. Yeah. Uh, Cause some of our counties are smaller. It's not like Texas, man. I mean, you guys, uh, we got nine uh, in my <laughs> County right now. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> but how big's your County been? It's pretty big. A lot of people yeah. it was just, you know, and, and, uh, and, and you, I know you can talk to this, you know, it's like, especially when you're on like the coastal counties, like where we're at. I mean, there's just so much to cover yeah. for you guys. I mean, with, with fishing and wildlife and, and just everything goes commercial on. Recreation. Yeah. And then you go inland and you got, you know, everything that's inland, you got hunting, you got uh, wildlife issues with people. Uh, yeah. You know, it, 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 it's a lot to do and you, you never, you never have downtime. You never, you're never bored. I don't think I don't ever remember being bored as a game yeah. warden. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. It's it's like you're never off a day, are you? You're pretty much on call. Ah. Being a warden, you're pretty much on call 365. Yeah, right? and if you're doing being a game warden, right, it's in your blood. So yeah. I took a, a case that uh, on my day off, I got a I got a tip, and I just went out and did it. You know, and we did search warrants on it, and we seized. Uh, we never recovered the deer. We recovered all the evidence bloody axes, uh, bloody buckets. Uh, we never recovered that deer. We got a confession, but the, the old man would not give up where the deer went. Uh, he would not do that. So we, we charged him and we prosecuted him, but that was all on a day off. <laughs> man, that's crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I never dared put in for that too. My Lieutenant back then would have laughed at me and put it back in my face, <laughs> but it wasn't about the money. You know, it's about, that's what, what's, you know, doing stuff like we're doing, it's, it, it's, it's, it's pushing it on. It, it's doing something for the environment and uh, you're passionate about it. You, you, yep. There's something, you know, the money is great. It, it makes you keep going, but it doesn't sustain you. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't, it, it, you know, for your soul, so to speak. I mean, I can look back and, and you know, it was a very fulfilling job. Uh, my stuff I'm doing today is fulfilling too, but that's, I think that's what I look for in a career is something fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think some people lack. But if they were all doing that, would that all be park rangers? That all be uh, game wardens? Yeah. That all be? Uh... You think you know? We, we, we've had we've we had, wouldn't have know, anybody on Wall Street, right? No, <laughs> no, no, nobody be working anywhere. So it's like you can hardly find anybody working at Walmart now. Anyway, everything's. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. 
<laughs> so I guess but, we don't want everybody to follow their passions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, it would it would be tough. You know, we get a lot of a lot of, you know, people and, and um, volunteer with us and stuff at work and, and um, through internships and things like that. And and some of them find out real quick, like the field work is just not for them. Yeah. <laughs> they think it is. And they think it's all dolphins and sea turtles. And then um, <laughs> we got to go out and get, you know, slopping through the marsh and two foot deep mud and and yeah. dragging gear for 100, 200 yards to the shoreline and that. And they're like, nope like i'm done <laughs> yeah oh you know i work for a company that doesn't exist anymore rmc environmental services and uh we were i worked on the susquehanna river and we had a fish lift so the first dam uh, uh the conowingo dam the first dam on the the susquehanna river is a massive dam off the chesapeake bay and they would take it was a fish elevator basically it mm-hmm. would create uh flow and all the fish would go in there they'd go up we would sort them and then we would uh we'd put all the shad everything that was traveling upstream to to breed we would put them in a truck so the first few days i remember getting in there with people with their master's degrees there was a couple people in there with doctorate degrees that had never touched a fish before That's scary is we're <laughs> sorting fish and they don't even know what they're sorting we're looking you know we and you get all kinds of fish there you got northern pike which is kind of interesting when you get a northern pike if there's any sides to them mm-hmm. um, but you just got all kinds of fish and you had to take the fish out and physically put them down this tube to, to load the truck with fish and all these people were highly educated had never touched fish and usually they didn't last but a day or two because they'd been writing papers about fish for so long they never actually physically touched. But back then it was such a competition to get a job. Everybody wanted experience. So we, we got that experience and I moved on to the telemetry unit with those guys. And I remember my, the, you know, they were discussing who to take for the telemetry. Everybody wants to be on the telemetry unit because you follow fish. It was a pretty prestigious job for a seasonal job. And they were like, they'd all worked with me before. And they're like, give us Wayne because Wayne works. Wayne works, you know, it wasn't about education. It wasn't about, it was Wayne works. So I think that's something that, you know, needs to be followed through with our our younger people today. And I think in the society, if you work hard, you're going to be successful no matter what you do. Yeah. Yeah. And telemetry, that's like a, I mean, I know what it is, but I mean, for people listening, it's it's a tracking system, basically. We would put transmitters in fish, put them right down their gullets. And uh, we would take uh, these little box antennas with a Yagi antenna, and then we would track them. Uh, and we would track downstream and upstream passages on hydro dams, basically was our job. Mm-hmm. But when I first got there, we were getting geared up to head up to a job. So they're like, Wayne, grab one of the antennas and stuff. And we're, we're missing some, some fish out behind uh, where our office was at Muddy Run. It was a pump station. So during when, when things are cheap, uh, electricity was cheap, they would pump all the water up in there. And when, when it was in high demand, they would drive it down and run the turbines and make create more. Gen- so there's a huge, massive reservoir up behind there. So I'm all set up and ready to go. And I'm walking out with my Yagi antenna, you know, playing with it and learning. We had a fish pit out there that was just where all the dead fish that we, you know, we'd fill it with dead fish. So I walked by there and a beep, beep, and it all of a sudden the signal's back there. And I beep, beep, turn around, beep, beep. I go right to the fish pit and that's where where it is. And I'm like, oh, those guys are jerks. And I've been work, I'd worked with them for over a year. We were pretty friendly. I walked in there and I hadn't been gone, but. 15 minutes and they were like hey well, i thought you were going to go out and find those fish i said i found them you guys are a bunch of jerks you know and they're like what i'm like those transmitters are in the fish pit out there and they're like are you kidding me <laughs> i'm like no so that was a shock to most transmissions especially back then and we're talking 30 years ago those were expensive things 
Yeah, you, you can imagine what Wayne's job was next to it to recover the, the yeah. transfers in the fish pit. So that wasn't exactly the greatest job either, but yeah. <laughs> uh, they had no idea those transmitters. They thought they were in the, they thought the fish got pumped up in the reservoir and were out and then they just wanted to know where they were. And they, they weren't, they, they, they swear they weren't yanking my chain, but I will tell you, I don't know if they were or not, but uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had a, uh, we were working up in Northeast Oklahoma one time and doing some electrofishing surveys um, when I was in school and, and, uh, I remember we were in the really deep part of this channel. It was all on private land, and and uh, um, there was a beaver stuck in the section we were in, and we could not get him out of it. And I'm talking the water would probably be about 20 foot deep, and he kept going down and 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 getting below some rocks and some brush he had down there, going into his in his dam area, and we could not get that sucker out. And I don't know what he felt like after <laughs> we got done with our work, but. <laughs> I'm sure he got lit up a little bit while we're in there, you know, yeah. and, uh, just like, man, this is for your own good. Just try to s- swim past there. And then we'll, we can come back in here later. <laughs> but uh, but thanks for clarifying Derek. Uh, when, when you talk about telemetry, that's one thing as a podcaster, I sometimes forget to do. I forget to, because th- we talk in our language that yeah. we understand. We forget that what people listening to don't, understand and and that i'm really glad you clarified that i'm trying to do that more often especially right. with acronyms and stuff you know when we start oh no i'm terrible about doing the same thing talking about yeah. fishing techniques but to our listeners like that yeah playing that it's epic because they said the whole time you know they, they they forgot what we said you know three sentences down because they're still yeah. thinking what the heck is a telemetry? yeah it's cool you know down here working with like texas a&m and galveston and stuff like they're they've got a bunch of research projects where they're not using telemetry per se in that nature but they're um, they have um songs set out across the bay system to track fish movements and they're going in acoustically doing a, a surgery on fish implanting an yes. acoustic tag now which is the most yes. common thing and mm-hmm. um, they can track these fish it doesn't affect them any um and track them you know track right. them all over the bay you know looking at spawning migration just like what you were doing and yeah. it's been a huge deal looking at flounder down here for us because flounder is one of the species oh. that's really hard to to um, really know their true life history and stuff just because we know they spawn offshore sometimes over 100 miles offshore and you can't get data on fish that do that hardly at all so you know right. just know where they go so um it's pretty cool seeing all the different techniques that they're using now. So, yeah, it's amazing what science, how, how far it's come. Like you said, I was, you know, just like the great whites and stuff where they migrate, where they breed, you know, they're doing the yeah. same type of thing that you guys are doing with flounder on them. And it's just, it's fascinating that we didn't know that before. And now we're finding out all oh, this yeah. information. Yeah, all uh, just, uh, just, it's really neat. Uh, science has come a long ways and we keep the technology keeps increasing, you know, where we were radio collaring moose and, uh, you know, and then we're, we're, we're figuring this stuff out. It, it's good. I mean, I'm, we're figuring out, I don't know if we can help them all the time, but right. we can certainly try a lot more than we could. Um, some things that still disturb me though, I'll tell you is we built all these hydro dams, you know, way back in the turn of the century. And we, we didn't think about the fish that migrate up and down the rivers. Mm-hmm. We destroyed the Atlantic salmon on the East coast. And now we're building windmills and it, it irritates me because again, we didn't look at the science and we're finding out as all kinds of, you know, migratory things, whether it's bats or birds that use these ridge lines that are getting killed. And they, they always said that wasn't getting killed because all the predators are figuring this out. And they're, you know, the foxes are hanging out underneath the windmills, wax yeah. a bird, they go grab their bird and they go back and eat it. And they're getting all fat. And, you know, it's also bringing, you know, predators to higher elevations. 
So all, all the stuff that we, we should have done beforehand and we, we all of a sudden we're all into windmills. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, here we go again. We did that at the turn of the century with hydro. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I think um, one of the things that's been in the spotlight here recently, and I just had Robbie Kroger on the show uh, a couple weeks back and, and we were talking about it quite a bit was, um, you know, the use and ban of trail cameras now. Mm. And man, if you're into hunting or anything in the outdoors, I mean, that has been such a huge thing the last 10, 15 yeah. years. And, and now the cell phone trail cameras where you can just, I mean, I've got two at my dear lease. I mean, I get them twice a day, you know, I can see what's coming and going. And, yeah. and, uh, I know from a, from a hunting perspective, it's awesome, but I know that that had to be a huge resource for y'all in law enforcement, you know, as evidence, I would assume. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no trail cameras have made many a case a using their trail cameras against them, uh, as well as our own trail cameras on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's 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 been great. And the other thing, it, it tells us when the hunter's there. So if you get a cell phone signal and now you know the hunter's there, that that helps us out because yeah. now we can go in and scoop the illegal bait or, or or whatever that. And I don't, yeah, it'll be interesting how the laws are written, whether they affect law enforcement or not. I think law enforcement will still be able to use them to catch the bad guys. It's just going to be, uh, and we have restrictions in New Hampshire. If you have a, a cell phone, uh, one, you can't hunt 24 hours after you've received the data for that. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah. So when we started early on, we had problems with a uh, bear dogman. They would have it and they'd see a bear on this bait site and they'd go grab their dogs and off they'd go hunting mm-hmm. compared to what they used to. So, you know, with, with, with laws, it's pretty interesting. A laws will never keep up with ten- technology. They, they just can't. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's changing too fast and legislators can't. So, but they address biological stuff, but social stuff as well. So, and where we fall on that tier is very different so if we all did it biologically then we'd have to do some data uh our population's decreasing due to using of trail cameras now are they decreasing the use of you know instant trail cameras and we could get all that data and compile it and create a law i think this is more based on a lot of social but uh maybe those you know maybe um you know arizona when they banned it it was arizona right arizona and then utah just did something but i'm not sure the specifics on that it was that was very very recent yeah, so I'm I'm not sure what the you know because it's either one of those things it's biological or it's social, so or it's a social perception. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that gets changed. And one law lawmaker can enter a bill and sell that bill to a legislator and get that passed. Um, sometimes it can go through really quick and unnoticed, and other times you know it's fought tooth and nail uh, by sportsmen um, and outdoors. And generally, sportsmen are great. They they look at the data if there's data. And they would side on the side of the animal because I think we are all conservationists and we all want, you know, whether it's deer, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever you want, you want the best thing for that resource. Yeah. 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 And, and, and going back to Tom was talking to Robbie a couple weeks ago, you know, we talked about, you know, just the, the use of it, you know, and there's, um, it's a very effective tool, you know, Mm. and it's not an efficient tool because you still have to go out and make that kill and whatever you know if you're going to harvest an animal or not but but um it does make it more effective for people especially when they have limited time to go in the outdoors and and do you know a lot of of people can't get off during the week and go hunting i mean they're only a day and a half on the weekends to to do that and then i know i don't know what it is like in new hampshire but i know when i was talking to aaron merrill who's up in maine you know i didn't had no idea y'all couldn't or they could not hunt on Sundays, I believe. Yeah. Some stipulation on that, you know, and then mm-hmm. 
um, it drives me nuts in Missouri. You can't turkey hunt after one o'clock or whatever in the afternoon. I'm like, this is prime time. It's like, I'm spoiled <laughs> living down here in Texas. Cause <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. We can't hunt till after we our, our turkey seasons ends at noon in the spring too. Oh, well, <laughs> that just drive me crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the Sunday hunting has been for Maine, which is really good for New Hampshire to let you know, because anybody that lives near the border has a New Hampshire license so they can come hunt New Hampshire on Sundays. So I, I hope they keep that, to be honest with you, Derek, yeah. because that that helps New Hampshire sell hunting and fishing. Licenses. Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's nothing wrong with that law. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah that's a, a, a social law. That was a social law done many, many years ago from my understanding. So people could, you know, go to church and spend some time on Sundays with church and family and, th- and things like that. They didn't want everybody out hunting. So I think, again, that was a social reason that they created that law, yeah. not necessarily a biological reason. Um, yep. Yeah. There was always, I always wondered, I finally had it explained to me and I don't know if it's hundred percent true or not, but growing up in Oklahoma, the limit on crappie was 37 fish per person per day. That's kind of just like 37. It's like, where the heck did that number number? come from? You know, (laughs) and, and somebody that, um, Hartford Harmer or something was telling us, um, well, they, they couldn't decide back when they created that law. So when the legislators or whatever were just going, they just took an average of everybody's numbers and that's what they came up with. So I wish they would change that. But, uh, I think in Texas here, it's like 25 a day or something now, but yeah, I but think just, we have a 25 limit a day. For that yeah. Well. Just things like that. Just like, that doesn't make any yeah. sense in today's current yeah, age. 37 data we have. Yeah. But, but the number for at least New Hampshire for why we came up with a limit on panfish was because of the commercialization of them so we had some really? guys coming over and commercially fishing because you could uh commercially fish them and, and sell them in another state so that's why we limited it because we had people from other states coming over fishing uh the connecticut river and mm-hmm. cleaning house and then they were going selling them commercially so it was a commercial business that someone was benefiting from you know financially and it wasn't benefiting the sportsmen so that's why we did a limit so it wasn't worth it for a commercial fisherman to come over and catch 25 right yeah so, interesting so there's, there's generally a reason behind the laws there's, there's a rhyme or a reason like i said whether yeah. it's biological or social and it's just sometimes the social ones uh are, are hard to take because everybody has an opinion and it's just the, the majority wins or that legislative that puts it through and this mm-hmm. story in almost every state about those types of laws that come up. But the biological ones I think are great if we base it on our information, our data, and then we reflect on, on how we manage things and that creates laws. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Have y'all um, up in New Hampshire, has it moved into the, the digital age now of reporting tag deer and things like that like either on phone or via website or is it still all paper like on the animals or how's that work up there 90 percent paper (laughs) so hopefully we will be changing shortly they actually just changed the law so because our law was set up so it couldn't be you couldn't register anything other than paper Mm -hmm. so we had to change the law that just went through the legislators so i expect that we will be catching up um, I don't know about you, but I love it. I go to New York and hunt when I kill a deer. I don't even know why I tag it. Cause I can register it. Right, I, right. I, I tag it. I register it <laughs> within, you know, before I even start gutting it because it's, it's yeah. just easy, um, it's, yeah. you know, tag it, register it. And then I'll get my hands dirty. 
which it just cracks me up. Uh, it's so great. It's so quick. Uh, I don't have to go, you know, and the other thing we're having a problem with is our registration stations are declining. People, again, aren't connected to the outdoors as much. And uh, when you get, I think, maybe they get $2 or maybe they get $5 to register a deer. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not economical for them to take time out to register the deer when they have people trying to buy other things. It's yeah. more economical. So I think uh, I shot a deer in a different county this year and there was like four registration stations in the county. And of course it was after seven o'clock. So they were all closed. So, right. uh, and the nice thing about our lot says you have to pass an open registration station. So I just drove home and then, then my registration at the station was just down the road was closed and I had to go further. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't get into deer hunting until I was I actually had moved already down to Texas. But um, when we'd go back and hunt up in Oklahoma, we still had check stations at the time, you know, mid two thousands. And, and um, that was kind of the fun thing to do to go in at night and see what all the deer, you know, were getting brought yeah. in by the locals and stuff. All and the photos. I miss that, man. Yeah. yeah no, it's, you know, well, those but, places that have it, I, I enjoy going there and there, we still have some really great places uh, that do that in Northern New Hampshire, you know, they'll have, they'll have hundreds of deer and big deer on the wall. Mm -hmm. So you always, you know, they always group the big bucks, but, yeah. and then you see for a game warden, it's really good because you usually get the picture of the buck or the deer with the person. So I've used those pictures as evidence yeah. before. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. So, but yeah, Texas. And, and I don't know if it passed through the, the commission or not last week or this week, I think maybe coming up this Thursday, but um, they're looking at going to um, the option of digitally tagging your deer and Turkey and mm. um, red drum oversized red drum, which I think is great. Um just because that'll give you know the way we tag deer in texas is you'll have your license print out and you'll have all your tags on there and you have a hunter's log on the back which you fill out but there's no data collected by the state you know so i mean it's only if you get checked by a warden or somebody they'll double check you know you've taken off the right tags and look at your log that you have to fill out and stuff but now i think this will provide a little bit more like pressure estimates on what counties and stuff how many deer are being harvested and and that kind of thing, which is good. I think more data, right. better in my opinion, but yeah, um, as long so. as you can use it, it was, it was yeah. funny. when I first time I went elk hunting out in Colorado, I read that book on the way out about six times. Couldn't find where you register your elk. So, and I was meeting with a local game warden. I met with him like, Hey, I don't want to be stupid, but I've read that book like six times and I can't see where you register your elk. And he's like, he laughs. He goes, you don't register your elk. You just got to tag it and you got to make sure you can verify which sex it is, whether, you know, you take the, the udder off and you just leave that with the meat or, mm -hmm. and I was just like, so population, things like that. Oh, we fly over. We get a much better population estimate by flying over the herds in the mm -hmm. winter than we would by, you know, hunter data. And I'm like, oh, that's smart. You know, again, yeah. data driven, you know, when they, when you compare what kind of information and the quality of information you're getting, you don't necessarily need that hundred data and that that's good for hunters and it's good for a biologist too. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, I think I harvested, I got lucky and got to go to Wyoming on a pronghorn hunt one year with some buddies nice. from Nebraska and, um, yeah. You know, he told me, he's like, well, when you, when you shoot one, you know, wherever we clean it at, and we, we got to take pictures of the gut pile and, and everything. So we have evidence of that. And sure enough, man, we hadn't been back to the vehicle site for more than 10 minutes. And here comes the game, the game warden and checked everything out. We had everything lined up, showing pictures. And he's like, you're good to go. And, and, um, I got real lucky and, and ended up getting a really nice one that year, but, uh, nice. um, 
you know, it was just something new I hadn't encountered before. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, so. it used to what your state rules and regulations. And when you go to another state, I think, especially with us that are that work within the, within the fish and game businesses, we're always ultra careful that we know it because we can know how quirky things are. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and it goes from state to state. Uh, you know, New York, I just went out and crossbow hunted. There's, there's, there's a use your muzzleloader license for your crossbow out there because, again, the legislator set up the season for crossbows, not the, the department. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of one of those funky little things. And uh, yeah. so it was very difficult. And I, I made, I made a couple of calls for questions and uh, you know, sometimes yeah. sportsmen don't, don't have that, those options. So yeah. uh, it's nice to have those options when you can, but uh, you know, especially when it's tricky and it was, it was really nice. The warden I could tell was they were pretty lenient on that because it was so tricky. Mm-hmm. Use your muzzle loader license to tag your, your deer during, with a crossbow. Yeah. Which, which, yeah let me ask you this your opinion on this you know through your career um because you see a lot you see a lot of it on the on the tv show side of it now um but what was your decision making when coming across somebody where you had a just a a odd circumstances come about you know difference between issuing a citation and issuing a warning i know it's different for everyone it is. I mean, it's a gray area and everybody's gray area is very different. And what I've learned, and I think most game wardens through their career learn this, not all, because some that don't, the gray area is based on interpretation and you become very good at interpreta- interpreting people and their intents sometimes. And sometimes you may have a history, so you'll know their intents right off. And I'll give you a couple examples. I checked a guy uh, first buck i believe and it was a nice big eight point he was dragging out and he was right to the truck when i checked him and i looked down and i didn't see a tag on it so i said uh you know and i could tell he was all excited he was fired up but i said did you tag that deer and you want to look at somebody in the face and the fear of god all of a sudden uh, uh no i didn't and he thought i he thought i was going to take his deer and write him a ticket and i said well why don't you take your time right now and go ahead and tag that deer did i did I think he intended to violate the law? Did I think he was going to throw that deer in the trunk and uh, bring it home and go out hunting again? Absolutely not. He was going to tell everybody in the world that he shot this deer. He was so excited. And because he was so excited, he didn't tag that deer. Now, I'll tell you another scenario where there's a little skipper shot and you get to somebody's camp and they get it in, out back underneath the wood pile and uh, there's no tag on it. That's camp meat. Uh, and that's a skipper. That's a- uh, <laughs> I love that. Uh, it is a yearling deer. Okay. And that's what we call them in New Hampshire. Now, I'm not sure if uh, Maine will call them lambs at time, but they certainly understand when we call them skippers. Uh, and that's something I grew up with. I grew up with. And to this day, I call a yearling deer a skipper. And yeah, I never heard that. <laughs> yeah. <That's> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could tell you, Derek. Yeah, it's, it's something very, very uh, regional, I believe. But uh, <laughs> that's what we call them, skippers. And uh, so, yeah, yearling deer uh, was camp meat. So, yeah. and that's throughout the Northeast. That's probably in deer hunting camps. That's probably, uh, you know, if, if they if they don't mind bending the law, you know, the first first doe, the first skipper comes in this camp meat, which is an untagged deer uh, that they don't register or anything. So, mm-hmm. uh, um so that would be a definitely a ticket with no black and white because I, I know the intent. Right. Uh, so and that's what you got to try to figure out, I think, is the intent, especially with a new hunter that violates uh, duck hunting is another thing. There's a ton of rules that can be broken in duck hunting. Um, so it's, it's why again, I don't duck hunt, man. I, 
discern a, a, a wood duck from a, from a mallard flying through the air, I don't think, and just don't want to take that chance. Yeah, well, you, as a warden, I brought my son out his last year of youth duck hunting this year, and I have never been so nervous in all my life. He had five ducks, and the only thing he could shoot was a drake mallard. And so, I mean, and this does all kinds of ducks flying around, Eric. There's all kinds. And, yep. and so, I, and I am sweating. And he knows that. I'm like, yep, it's got to be a drake. Make sure it's not in a group. Make sure it's out. Make sure you identify it as a drake mallard. <laughs> <laughs> and and the first flock flies over and i can see you know it's a big group of mallards and they're all tight and i'm like and i'm sweating i'm like don't pull up don't shoot don't shoot because he's pulled up and he's got i'm like don't shoot don't shoot and he doesn't shoot i'm like okay that was good second flock comes by again it's pretty dang tight and i'm like oh don't shoot don't shoot don't shoot he's up and ready he lets those pass the third flock comes over and there's a drake mallard on the outside edge i see that bam dead and i was like oh thank you <laughs> Because there is nothing more. I mean, I just hate to make that call. Yeah, you know, brought my kid out youth hunting, you know, and uh, he shot, he overlimited. Uh, he's got two hens or <laughs> he dumped two ducks yeah. in the last uh, last shot. Yeah, no, it, duck hunting is uh, can be one of those things that is can be violated very easily. There's a lot of rules and regulations, you know, specific shots, uh, plug guns, uh, limits, identification of on the wings, identification, uh, shooting them. And then, yeah. And then even once you get them, you don't throw them all in a pile with your eight buddies. You got to have no who's ducks or what and where. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's getting better. There's a, a couple States experimenting with like a three duck limit and then you can shoot anything. It's just three ducks. So you can shoot technically, I think, uh, three mallard, even if they were hens. I, you know, it's like Nebraska, I believe. And I can't remember the specific name because there's only a couple states that are experienced with it. And it's because of hunters and trying to recruit hunters into duck hunting. And they know the complications there of it. So rather than having a six duck limit, they reduce it to three and they throw the identification out the window. Right. Great idea. I, yeah. I hope it works. And I'm, 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 I'm interested to see how that goes about if the other states adopt it or how that's going to go. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Yeah, I've heard about that, and that seems like the way to go to. And, and one, ah. one species they've looked at similar regulation proposal, which has never been officially proposed yet, but um, was um, you know, the battle over the American red snapper down here in the Gulf of Mexico. Just so many federal regulations, and the seasons just been just tightened down to where there's almost next to nothing i mean we had like five or six days out of the whole year a few years back that's all you could go out and catch and then you could only catch two you know and but people would call them so they could get bigger fish you know you don't right. want to drive 80 miles offshore then you oh. catch two 15 inch fish when you want a 25 inch fish and, and right so they've they've talked about making that so you just keep the first two or three or whatever you know and uh, it'd be interesting if something like that passed just to see how it would affect um, the populations and, and, and just reduce the the 
bycatch issue, I guess, of that. Yeah, so, because, so you know, as a management, that's why there's slot limits, because we're trying to manage. We want to keep the breeders, uh, that type of thing. And the same with, you know, white-tailed deer. I mean, we want you to shoot does. We want you to shoot fawns or skippers or yearlings. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because that's in the management plan and hunters that don't do that aren't, aren't helping the management plan. If they're always shooting a buck every year, right. skipping those other things that that's the management plan is, is part of it to, to help that bucks, you know, help that herd. And mm -hmm. that's why we got to be doe killers. We got to be skipper killers uh, because that helps manage things. And then a slot limit too helps managing because we're targeting the, maybe the unproductive, you know, when they're in that phase or they're at a point where they're haven't hit production yet and we want to keep the productive things. So that's why slot limits are in place in a, in a lot of different places, as well as management tools. You know, um, Jesus, some states you got to shoot a couple, you know, does before you shoot your buck. Uh, what a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. But then when you're out there hunting, you see the big buck and you, <laughs> and you got, oh, I haven't shot my one doe yet. I'm like, ah, so. Oh yeah. 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 I didn't shoot a trophy buck this year, which is fine. I, I was fortunate. got a really nice deer last year, but, um, um, you know, on my cell phone cameras that I've got up there, I mean, literally two days after we were there for the last day of general, you know, those late general hunting season, man, here they all come all these giant yeah. bucks. And I'm just like, you know, it's kind of a good thing. Cause we know some of these deer made it through the season and who knows what the potential is for next year. That, that's another good thing about the camera is that, that, that inspires you to get back out there. I remember the first yeah. trail camera I ever got, I put out there and that was back when there was film in them. Uh, you probably don't remember that, <laughs> but anyways, uh, I, I got this picture of this deer and it, it had tines that were like nine inches straight up, but it was only a six pointer, but it was the tallest time. Mm. And just to know something that, that was around my house like that, boy, did that make me go and not necessarily hunt where the picture was taken, but hunt the area just to, just to know that deer was yeah. in existence, uh, just inspired me to, to keep going. So I, I think there's a lot to trail cameras, you know, the cell phone ones here or there, it's, it's hard to enforce like our laws, 24 hours. How do you figure someone hasn't hunted within 24 hours of getting yeah, that, that information? Yeah. Uh, that's a very difficult thing. You actually have to do search warrants on their phone, search warrants on the camera. Uh, yeah. So that type of things. And we do do search warrants in New Hampshire on, on, on trail cameras. We, we seize them because uh, the evidences can, can be disposed of very easily if we don't seize them. But then when we get them there, we just don't look at them. We write a warrant to our, our local judge and ask to look into it. And these are the reasons it's an illegal bait. There was a trail camera on it. There's crimes there. Because um, once you have that camera, there's the, the exigency is gone. Uh, now you can write a search warrant because that, that information isn't going to change anymore. It's in your possession. Now to look at that stuff, we, we, we get the judge. And it was just, we never had a, a case that, that inspired us to do it. It was just, I think it was good management on our part to know how this would go. If we had a good case and then we lost it because we didn't do a search warrant, right. we wouldn't want to do that. So now we'll, we'll seize the camera on an illegal bait or something like that. Then we'll do search warrants. Then we'll look at it and see if any of the evidence collaborates what we have. Hmm. Um, 
but I, I've got some epic, epic photos from trail cameras. Uh, one guy during the interview, you know, that's not my bait. That's not my bait. That's not my bait. I have an actual picture of him dumping out donuts. I mean, physically face. I mean, and it looks like it's looks like the camera was sitting on him, you know, and, and it was close and he never saw it. And it took some awesome photos of him. And I slid that picture across that. And he looked at that and it wasn't, you know, it was like, how did you get that picture? It wasn't that that was, <laughs> it was, how did you get that picture? And I just said, you know, at the CIA lets us have access yeah. to the satellite surveillance uh, satellites every now and then. So we have a window of about an hour and you just, you just hit it right. So yeah. Yeah. we had a drone following you around for the last month. <laughs> <laughs> hey, some guys will believe that Derek. That's, that's the, that's the crazy part. Some guys will believe that. So. <laughs> oh man. Shoot. Well, I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask you, um, today in this in this world we're in now which you're so big on i mean just the podcast alone um and you mentioned it a while ago recruitment and hunting and stuff like that what has been y'all's um best way of looking at recruiting future wardens and and what is some advice for so i know a lot of people you know even people that i work with currently that want to go into law enforcement you know but um we work with a lot of youth down here um in the high school age through a camp that we put on every summer and and um but what is some advice and, and words of wisdom you could give us to somebody that's really wanting to do this for a career? Yeah. Keep your nose clean. Uh, that's, that's the biggest thing because, you know, when we do these background investigations, we're going to look at your social media. Uh, we are going to look inside and outside and in New Hampshire, we do a polygraph as well. So uh, we are going to try to get that. So the, the, the cleaner you can keep your nose, the better off you are in the long run. And if you have done something, admit it up front, admit it up front. Um, and sometimes you forget about what you're doing. It comes out in an investigation and say, I totally forgot about that. And, and be honest. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that, that type of thing, you know, as a background investigator, I, I, I loved investigations. I really did. And I took these background investigations just like they were investigations. So, you know, they'd give me all the lists of their friends and everything. And that's, I'd start there and I'd say, so uh, do you know any of his ex-girlfriends? And boy, did I get some incredible information out of ex-girlfriends because all your buddies know your ex-girlfriends. So I would just get names and towns and I do my own research and find ex-girlfriends and talk to ex-girlfriends about them. And uh, uh, and one in particular, he, he became an officer. Boy, she hated his guts, hated his guts. And at the end, I said, is there any reason why you wouldn't want him to be a law enforcement officer? And she goes, oh, I want to say yes in the worst way. <laughs> She's like, but I can't. <laughs> so uh, there there was a good one. But I've, I've got some uh, really good stories out of ex-girlfriends. And you know, nobody fills that out. So I, and, and every time there's a crack, I just kept working on that crack, working on that crack until I made a crevice out of it until I, you know. So when they, you know, keep your nose clean and then you don't have to hide all this stuff or be honest, be out, out front and say, hey, this is what I did. This is what I did. And sometimes we don't think of things as crimes either. Um, you know, w- working, you know, off the books for somebody uh, is something that, you know, what we all do is use generally, you know, uh, so, mm-hmm. but that's technically uh, should be reported. So, yeah. and, and then even when it gets reported, we, uh, yeah, I, I mowed the lawn for my neighbor and he paid me in cash, you know, when I was 18. Yeah. That's, that's not a big deal. So that's, yeah. but that's around the right time of thinking. Now, as you get older and you, you know, you work under the table, you know, making hundreds and thousands of dollars, that becomes a big issue. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, 
but keep your nose clean because that's the the most that that's probably the thing that sinks uh people that want careers in law enforcement the most um and and we are we are struggling to find good candidates right now so if you are you have a clean nose and you have a fishing game background even if you don't uh if you have an outdoor background if you like being outdoors uh some of that stuff can be taught and some of those people that learn it are so smart and sharp to different things than we are uh we have to look at recruits differently too uh, we have to take a sit back and maybe they're not the traditional recruit that we grew up doing that hunted and fished and did all these types of things maybe they've never hunted and fished but they are very technologically savvy that they can go on to somebody's facebook page and say hey look what he posted he, he shot a deer last night and you know i don't see a registration slip for this and but it's all over his facebook page and this kid pulls it up like like nothing yeah. You know, yeah. where us old dinosaurs are over there going, that's what? How'd you do yeah, that? That's Facebook. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes we get in that, that line to, to, so to speak, or that, that area we get honed in on what was traditional and we, we forget about the non-traditional skills that a lot of these candidates bring to us. Yeah. And I think it's pretty standard across the board now for, you know, a, a bachelor's degree for, for most game wardens is, is pretty much, I think, a, a required bachelor's degree for most states that i'm aware of um i'd say but, mostly two-year degrees up in the northeast maine doesn't have a degree requirement really uh, new hampshire has a two-year vermont has a two-year connecticut has a four-year i think massachusetts may have a four-year too so yeah, yeah you, you would probably if we if we counted them down there's probably more four years than there are two years mm -hmm. uh and some states still aren't requiring uh even that, you know, the state of Maine, I know some Southern states also don't require, uh, they just require a high school uh, diploma. Mm -hmm. So, and then they yeah. teach you. But I will tell you, every time you get a degree or a certification, you just put yourself above somebody else, yeah. above somebody else, above somebody else. So that, you know, when they're looking at two people, one has an associate's, one has a bachelor's, they'll probably hedge towards a bachelor's. Um, if they, if you have one, if they're equal and one has a scuba diver certification, and that's a big thing in your state, New Hampshire, we have our scuba our dive team. So that might put you up. So I, mm -hmm. I tell the, the kids in college that, that where I, you know, advise them, I'm like, just get as many, we just did a trapping class. Uh, so all the students were participating in that. They all got their trapper education certificate. Are they going to be trappers? Probably not one of them, but are they going to have that knowledge that comes with it? Absolutely. When they go to an oral board and they come on and they see a trapper certification, I'll tell you what, I was on an oral board before. If I saw a trapper certification, I would be like, whoa, you know, that just brought that individual up a step in my mind because he has the knowledge uh, just by going through that trapper education course. Uh, you know, a lot of people go through the hunter safety course, but how many of those, those hunter safety people become instructors in hunter safety? Right. That, right. Again, that puts it on a different level. Not only did he take his hunter safety course, but now he's an instructor in a time where we need instructors. And, you know, it just, it, it gives that edge. So if you want that edge, you just keep competing, you keep putting yourself up because you'll never over qualify yourself as a game warden especially doing those types of things that you probably enjoy anyways yeah yeah and i always highly recommend just you know if you're passionate about something wanting to go do something is just find ways to get your foot in the door through volunteering mm -hmm. and stuff and i don't know if y'all if y'all offered that option up there for ride-alongs or, or whatever but yeah but um it's always so beneficial when we're hiring new people it's like never seen you before, but I've got this yeah. guy over here. He's come out and volunteered and done almost everything that we do with this. And, you know, he's 
obviously going to have a better chance at that position um, because of that. Because I guarantee that's what got me hired on at the agency I'm at now um, was through all the, the volunteering and all the doors that that subsequently opened over time for me. Mm. And so. then people get to see your work ethic. And sometimes that's a positive and sometimes it's a negative. If, if you were a lousy volunteer, Derek, you wouldn't have your job today. Um, you know, yep. that you became a name and not just, uh, who was that kid that just stood around and did nothing all day. Uh, and I've had those, I've had them, I've had those people put me down as references yeah. and then people call and ask about them. And I'm just like, I can't not tell you. It's like, it's just, yeah. we had a lot of issues, you know, with right. their work ethic or whatever. And that come back to, to bite them. And, and I'm mm. not doing that to be rude, but you know, they just gotta be honest. Really, yeah. They just really weren't cut out at that time for that line of work and stuff but um it, it sucks having to do that and i've only had had that happen maybe once maybe twice of yep. all the people but I've you didn't do that they did that yeah yeah they they did uh, that. they did so, that so they shouldn't have put me down as a reference i guess that's <laughs> what i'm saying but <laughs> well, you, if they were smart they would have called you and said hey, right yeah you know, for reference yeah. and uh, i that said happens. no to a neighbor he wanted me to put put and i just moved in wasn't I hadn't been even living where I was for a year and he wanted me to, to put him down as for his firearms because we had concealed the carry permits. And he's like, can I put you down as a reference? And I was like, no. And it, he, he took very much offense to it. I'm like, hey, I haven't even known you a year. And I just, uh, you know, I said, so, oh, but he wanted because I was, you know, I think it was a time I was a sergeant. He wanted to put me down as a reference. And I'm like, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. And, and boy, I'll tell you, some people, when you're honest with them, Mm-hmm. It, it, they, t- they take it to heart it's it's uh it's a tough thing but i'm like hey no i don't feel comfortable doing that and, and you know after 10 years of living beside you i probably don't have any issue maybe five but you know one year i, yeah, I just yeah. Uh, i'm not going to stick my neck out and my reputation on something that i don't really know yeah and then you have the people that put your name down as reference and never tell you anything <laughs> and then you get a phone call out of the blue one day it's like oh i am oh okay <laughs> yeah and then I'm sure you've had those people that you say, Hey, if you need a reference, I'll give you a reference. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a, uh, it, it's, it's fun. I wish I could do it all over again, to be honest with you. Uh, it was yeah. just, it was a great career and I really enjoyed it. And, and believe me, I, I remember all the good stuff and I forget all the bad stuff, but we, we, we had some, uh, it, it was some pretty, whether it was cold nights, uh, <laughs> whether it was hairy rescues, uh, mm-hmm. whether it was, you know, there was a lot of, bad things that went along with it, but I always remember the good things. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's the same. And, and I'm, I know you've seen a lot worse than I have, but it's like with a lot of jobs, you know, you remember the good stuff. So um, some of the scariest things I've done, Derek has been on the water, Lake Superior, uh, when I can't see out of the waves, you know, I'm running on back then it was Loran, uh, and you can't see it. So operating on, that's a long time ago. (laughs) I know. Don't you? Yes, it was. <laughs> and it wasn't half as good as satellites, man, but I was scared out there. It was all by myself and the waves were 13, 14 footers. I was taking a 25 foot whaler. It was all enclosed. I was going down. I'm surfing down. I was surfing up and I was going to pick some biologists off the lee side of an island. And I wanted to pick them up because I was scared. I don't want to, I don't want to go back alone. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've been in some pretty rough stuff too. And it is not any fun. <laughs> No, it isn't just the tension. I mean, if people uh, listening to this podcast can feel the tension when you are in hairy weather 
with a bow. You are just Knuckles constantly. Are just... <laughs> yes. And you're so focused on, and it's just a wave in front of you. I mean, you're fo focused. You're looking at your instruments. You're going up this wave. And then to surf down that wave, it just sucks. It feels like you're getting driven into the bottom of a bucket. And then now you're going back up that wave. But there is nothing worse than that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sitting here. If you haven't experienced that, maybe you should take a ride with Derek. And uh, <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> we'll be out in it tomorrow, apparently. So. Yeah. Yeah. I just, boy. <laughs> and I get seasick, too, now. So I'm like, oh, yeah, man. Well, you <laughs> You got to come down here and go fishing with us sometime, but we'll, we'll, that sounds we'll like go great. on a good weather day. So that's that's great. Yeah. So, well, how how long was your career at, at New Hampshire? It was twenty three years. Twenty three years. Wow. Yeah. And so, um, one of the I guess one of the unique things y'all got to experience, which was I guess probably the original, was Northwoods Law, and how mm -hmm. that kind of come about for you guys because that was kind of a as far as TV law enforcement shows, that was kind of a game changer. Yeah. in our arena for sure for sure and maine started it uh so they had northwoods law before us i believe it was for seven years and we've mm -hmm. carried it on for about the same time frame so england entertainment was looking for a new home for northwoods law and maine had made reference to new hampshire in vermont so uh new hampshire got the opportunity and we took it and um, I'm, I'm happy we did because, again, we don't tell our stories enough. So that was a great way to tell our stories. Mm -hmm. um, some people will be critical of it because of the way they told it and what they told, uh, because there was so much film filmed with you. When you have a film crew, they are filming everything and anything. Yeah. And what you see on your hour show or whatever is just a fraction of what uh, they film. I mean, we did you know, the first uh, New Hampshire one, uh, Officer Fluette and I. Uh, officer fluet <laughs> he was taking the film crew out for the first time and this and i said it was like a wednesday i'm like what do you got what are you going to do with the film crew on a wednesday and he had a plan it was actually a pretty good plan um he was going to go seal some otters or fisher or something and bring them on that and uh i said well good good idea so he met with the film crew and off they went uh i think it was about three o'clock in the afternoon he had a drowning um and he had checked these people before in the day with the film crew so he got them live on film they got him oh. saying hey you know it's supposed to rain the weather you know the water's supposed to come up be careful uh things like that so it, it was good but again he you know three o'clock in the afternoon so i am now trucking up there as fast as i can get there because i know he's alone and he's got a lot going on and uh so i'm helping him and that became the first episode of northwoods other the east was that drowning with eric and i uh, running that drowning, which lasted three days, three days. And uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> and we did still didn't recover the person until the following Saturday. So it was a couple days later that he actually came up and we were able to recover him, but we had dive teams up there. We had media. Uh, it, it was, it was very, very busy, but what th took three days took less than an hour in Northwoods law. Uh, but I had people, I mean, people I knew well going, calling me up and going, Hey, was that fake? And I'm like, no, no, that wasn't fake. Wow. Or other friends were like, Oh, I didn't realize you did that. Uh, yep. you know, they, they don't understand, uh, the Kate Matrasova case, uh, where you will find me the book. I had friends read that book and not realize what we did. So I think anything we can do, whether it's a, a, a podcast, whether it's a book, whether it's a movie, whether it's a, a series like Northwoods Law, it puts out a message and it connects to people, whether on a wildlife scale, a law enforcement scale, or both. I think it's very, very important. And like we talked earlier, 
well, it's a, it, it's society has changed. We're not as connected to the outdoors and we don't understand COVID put a uh, instillment in a lot of people to say, Hey, I don't know the outdoors. I want to know what the outdoors are. I want to know how to survive. I want to know, go back to my roots. Um, if, if I have to survive, can I, uh, so our gun sales went up a lot. Uh, our hunting licenses went up a lot. So people could learn if they had to do something, how the, how they could do it. So, and they reconnected to the outdoors. And I think we're going to see, I think we saw a stabilization there and I hope it continues to stabilize because I think these people are going to carry those uh, desires on. Um, So, but yeah, it was, it was really, it was really a fun thing. Uh, It was a learning phase for me. I was the, I always tell people I was the boss, so I didn't get taped a whole lot. Uh, my last day, the colonel and I got together for a patrol and they did a whole episode with me and the colonel mm-hmm. uh, on my, my final day, which was uh, w- which was really great. I, I really enjoyed it. Me and the colonel are, were patrol partners. And uh, yeah, so that was that was that was epic for me. That was, yeah. that was a cool thing. That's cool. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's been, um, you know, down here with the Lone Star Law show and stuff. I mean, we've got to see a bunch of that going on and, and um mm-hmm. I don't know if we'll make it in or not, but we, we got filmed in part during part of an investigation this past summer, um, which should be coming up in an episode sometime this season, which just started, I think last night. So, um, but, uh, had a boat coming in illegally overnight and ran into the jetties, the rocks coming in to Galveston. And I had heard about it on the news because they had to, um, the coast guard had to go out and get them with the helicopter, I guess, because they were up on the rock and it was really rough Mm. and, I don't know why they ran into the rocks. I mean, it's like a three mile wall out there. Everybody knows there, but they ran right into the middle of it. And so anyway, they towed the boat back the next day to where I was working at at one of the boat ramps. And um, the boat was just full of illegal fish Wow! after shark, after shark and amberjack and snapper and just everything you could think of was on that boat. Of course it was all nasty by then, but we were, we were helping um, get it out and stuff. And I'm not going to mention any specifics. I don't know if that investigation is still ongoing or not, but, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, it was just happened to be one of the days when the film crew was, was tagging along with one of the wardens down here. That's and, awesome. um, so we, <laughs> we're in the, we were in the, I guess the right spot at the time to help. So we'll be interested to see the kids get a kick out of that seeing that on TV. So, yeah, but yeah, um, and that's a lot of evidence to, to get on. Cause they have to document yeah. all of those illegal things, whether it's yeah. photographs, especially if it's bad. I mean, that's a lot of, hard smelly work generally speaking yeah, it was it was bad <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. exactly there was no ice i'll just put it that way on anything yeah. so um but man just you know you don't i guess people don't realize how much of that stuff goes on you know yeah. that you don't hear about because i mean it happens more than you think mm-hmm. down here just so many people and stuff and Yep. And, um, but uh, there is money that can be made on a resource i'll tell you that's uh, that there's, there's going to be crime yeah it's just this someone's going to exploit the resource in order to make a buck yeah absolutely so well um you know i know going um with the northwoods law and all that stuff but you morphed after you retired into this podcast <laughs> thing that you're doing now currently which is where i know you more from and and um, which I think is awesome. Highly recommend everybody going and, and subscribing and, and listening to all that. And um, how did that come about? I mean, I, I assume you were looking for something to occupy your time and kind of continue what you were doing. Yeah, that that's so, so true. And 
when you've done the best job that you could ever believe you've done to, to just stop, uh, you know, I tell people, I felt like I jumped off a cliff and I was waiting to land. And I had just been a couple, not even, a, it was probably weeks before I retired uh, to a hunter safety banquet that brings all the hunter safety instructors in. And uh, Jill uh, Kilborn, who's a, one of our biologists, was, was talking and speaking to the group. And she asked them if, the, I mean, we're good couple hundred people there and she's like do y'all know what a podcast is and maybe 20 or 30 raised their hand it wasn't me and then she started talking about the the meat eater podcast and she'd been what she'd been listening to a certain episode that again you know kind of related to the hunter education thing and um so that kind of stuck in my head and on the way home of course i uploaded a couple episodes and i listened and you know and i still didn't really hook onto it till about you know four weeks after i got done and i'm like you know what if I can't do the job anymore, why can't I talk about it? Mm-hmm. And will that give me enough fulfillment to, because I had the best job in the world. Now I'm going to talk about the best job in the world and talking to people that are doing the best job in the world uh, and, and help connect people to game wardens yeah. uh, cases and, and, and things like that. So that that's where I, where I got it. And uh, I enjoy it. It's kind of funny. Some, some, not all the ones do I enjoy, but uh, for the most part, 90% of it, I really enjoy hearing those stories, getting those stories out um, and, and letting the general public know there's access there and they can hear the work we do. Yeah, um, because it is it, it, it's necessary. It's interesting. Um, so, some of the stories I've heard, uh, Norm Lewis, it's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Norm. He tells the story about the L.L. Bean Buck. I don't know if you listen to that one. That is the Not best. Yet. Oh, my goodness. Uh, they got donated. L.L. Bean donated one of the bucks that was they were getting ready to get down their display. It's a full mount uh, L.L. Bean deer. Well, one of the wardens that got it. <laughs> Well, they used it as a decoy right away. Well, the, the guy that ran it over with a truck had actually seen that deer in L.L. Bean. And it said, that's the L.L. Bean buck there. And it was, in fact, the L.L. Bean buck. <laughs> so wow. that, that's one of those stories that, you know, you, to, to tell that, I just, I laugh. I, I think it's great. And Norm's a great storyteller. And, and just the facts that, you know, we were there and, yeah, that L.L. Bean buck was an L.L. Bean one day and the guy saw it and the next day. He's running over with a truck in the field. And yeah, it looked just like that L.L. Bean buck. Well, guess what? It was that L.L. Bean buck. So, <laughs> well, how the heck did you and John Norris get hooked up to to host this together? Yeah, we were at a conference together and we just kind of hit it off. And he's West Coast and I'm East Coast. And, you know, to get that connection. So it, it just seemed like a natural thing. So I said, Hey, why don't you, you jump on board with me? And uh, yeah, so we, we host uh, the warden's watch and we do the thin green line together, which is people outside that actually support conservation. Um, so we do the thin green line podcast and warden's watch is becoming kind of a little platform. I'm going to be doing a new, new one called warden's watch wild coming up where I'm going to be interviewing biologists about animals. Cool. Uh, and I think uh, it, it's a pretty cool uh, pretty cool thing too it'll be a mm-hmm. little shorter a little more specific and uh just uh it's a warden's watch has got all kinds of things on it from the thin green line for people to support it to game right. wardens to now hopefully coming up in biologists and uh and i got a few other projects in the works too so that's um, awesome yeah I, 
I'm creating my too much work. For uh, I was going to say, that, that's what I'm hearing. You're going to be busier now than when you were working full time. I know. So. And with, with doing the college thing and I, I got cut back to one class. So, but I'm also got a new job as the coordinator and uh, advisor for the conservation law program at White Mountain Community College, which I'm really enjoying too. It's passing it on. It's yeah. uh, inspiring the next generation. It's kind of like podcasting in person. Yeah. That's cool. That yeah. is cool. So, well, I know you've had, um, you've had a really long, great career. It seems like, and just continuing that on what you're doing now. And, and, um, you know, one of the things you know, we talked about before, um, <clears throat> one of the podcast series you did was on the, on the Colbert case. And, and, and I don't want to dwell on that, but I mean, it's a very, I mean, gut-wrenching story to hear about what what all transpired that day but um i would highly recommend people going and finding that series and listen to that but i don't know if you want to just kind of mention kind of what all that entailed and kind of how that changed your outlook and, and on your career and stuff and i mean you were almost killed that day yeah yep i was and, and so 1997 i was shot in the line of duty duty by a guy named carl drega would already killed three people, two state troopers and a judge. Mm. Um, and a fourth person, Dennis Joes, who was tried to stop his killing spree. So he had already killed pe- four people. Uh, radio communications, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people that listen and are involved with radio communications understand, it isn't always the best. So the radio hadn't got out that he had killed uh, four people because um, I was only working on one radio, uh, the county at that point. So we didn't put it up. So yeah. I encountered Kyle Draga. He actually, and I didn't know what he had done. All I knew was a stolen state police cruiser. I pursued him into another state, uh, the state of Vermont, where he set up an ambush for me. Mm-hmm. under a trestle that only one car is, can pretty much fit under this trestle. Um, he, was, he, he wasn't a dumb man. Uh, he was at the back of the state police cruiser he stole. He put a state cruiser Stetson on, and he had an AR-15. And when I went underneath that, knowing something was wrong, you know, I always tell people, and I'm a big six-sense guy, that six-sense, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have five, we have six. There's something in your intuitivity that tells you something's wrong. And I always tell new guys, if something's telling you wrong, believe it. Because even if it's not wrong, guess what? You're going to react as if it's wrong and you're going to probably take a precautionary way to do it. So, but when something doesn't feel right to you, go with it. Uh, and that day it didn't feel right. Something was good. Something was going on. So I kind of slowly went under there. And unfortunately, even slowly, there was a guy there with that Stetson looking at me posed with an AR-15 and it just boggles yeah. your mind when you see something that you don't understand that doesn't make sense to the mind to see that somebody pointing a gun at you, that looks like a trooper. And then he opened fire and his first round went through the windshield and hit my badge. Uh, when my badge, my badge was embedded into my chest, but the round was ricocheted into my bicep and out my shoulder. Mm-hmm. So I was able to put it in reverse and I, I didn't really go back fast at first, but there was a store right there and it was a nice warm August 19th day. And I yelled at the people at the store to get out of there because, and I said some profanity too that I won't say, but, um, and just as I got that out of my mouth, I was taking on more rounds. And I used to have this gun as a kid that had a ricochet sound to it. And went, bow, bow, and yeah. that's exactly what it sounded. 
uh, that ricochet sound as he started shooting my cruiser up. And then the adrenaline kicked in, I'll tell you. And I stepped on it and I almost went back to New Hampshire at a high rate of speed, but I hit a tree before I went into the Connecticut River and that tree stopped my cruiser. And for me, I broke the tree in half, but it held the cruiser kind of halfway down the bank on the Connecticut River. Mm where I was able to get out and get down. And I set up my own ambush. Carl Dragon never came to me, but then I heard uh, some other police officers yelling my name. I was able to go up the bank and they brought me to the hospital and yeah. And then I was out for about a year and then back on duty about a year later. So uh, with a lot of uh, work going through, you know, a couple surgeries um, on my arm, but it works pretty good. I, I can't complain. Um, so yeah, that's it. That's that in a nutshell. Uh, they killed Carl Draga that day. Uh, he set up more ambushes for more police. Uh, fortunately, there was a canine that alerted that he was on the, the hillside and not in the cruiser that everybody was you know, focusing on. Um, he had set that same Stetson up on uh, the hat with a, he took his shirt off and he put it as if it was somebody laying over the steering wheel. So it looked like someone was laying and set another ambush and he set up on a ridge line. So when people were coming down this woods road that he would be able to open fire on them and he opened fire and he hit two uh people so a, a border patrol guy and a state trooper also were shot at that time uh they were pinned down they were returned fire which uh the, the, when they returned fire well i, I should say that the, the recovery crew that came in returned fire and we were, was able to kill them they scooped the people uh the two two guys or one guy that was down there and uh scooped them up and and hauled them out and uh, at the same time they were returning fire that's when they killed carl draga um but and it took him a while to find that out as well. But uh, yeah. yeah, so that was the shooting of Zavalda. Like like you said, the podcast, I did a four-part series on it, which ends with my uh, my counselor. Uh, and I'm big on counseling. Uh, you know, we all have trauma in our lives. And mm-hmm. to have tools to deal with that trauma is helpful. Does it make it go away? Absolutely not. We're human. We're all going to have that aspect. But to, to have some tools to deal with it, I think, is really important. And uh, to get somebody that has those tools, a counselor, and be able to talk to them and get those uh, is very important to me. And I think it's important that everybody's experienced it. So that's what we finished that with, with uh, Paula Booth, my counselor for that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm kind of passing it on again. This is, this is what helped me have a successful career. Because yeah, that uh, happened very early in your career, correct? Yeah, I was two years on. Wow. Two years on. And there's a lot of things when you're two years on, you don't have a lot of sick time. You don't have a whole lot of holiday yeah. time. So the legislator actually passed a law and gave me all of that back uh, through that. So it was very supportive. Uh, gay wardens uh, didn't have some of the, 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 the things that state police had as far as in the line of duty injuries so that we were able to through that legislation elevated up to we came to the same point as our state police uh, which mm-hmm. was another a lot of positives came out of that for different reasons uh, yeah. we upgraded we had bolt rifles back then we went to uh, the ruger ranch rifles mini 14s uh, radio systems changed there was all kinds of uh, positive and i like to, to focus on that i know tragedy losing friends for sure yeah yeah, and I think that's, um, you know, good comes out of bad. I mean, I tell yeah. it to people all the time right now, especially dealing with COVID over the last couple of years, like you got to look for the light, you know, it's mm-hmm. like there's a lot of bad crap that's happened. A lot of people have died and, and um, just 
you know, just a lot of stuff, but you got to look at the bright side of things and that'll help get you further down the road. And I think that's exactly what, what you were able to do. And, and uh, mm-hmm. probably the most interesting one of the series you did was the last one, in my opinion, you know, with, with, with Paula. So I'm, I appreciate yeah. hearing that story um, and, and I'll let you put that in. And, um, and thanks for talking about that. Um, you know, cause I, I've, you know, growing up, I lived in Oklahoma city, and I remember when um, uh, the the Murrah building was bombed mm-hmm. downtown Oklahoma City. I mean, it was like six miles from where I was at. And I just remember my whole desk, whole building was just shaking. And we were just like, what was that? You know, and then five minutes later, turn TV on and then see that happening. And you just never yeah. think something so devastating, you know, could happen in your backyard. Right. You know? And, and um and uh and if anybody other, ever gets an opportunity to go see that building that oh, yeah. talk about tear your heart out you yeah. know um that is as a national park uh or a historic i mean it's just uh yeah it tears your heart out it really does and yeah. know that uh somebody within us could do that to mm-hmm. to our country just uh it's it's it that's yeah you want to talk about tragedy you know all the children that were lost in that Mm -hmm. it was just uh that's devastating today i you know i can still remember going there and being so affected by uh the memorial Mm -hmm. um so just kind of 11 too you know i think i found i found um because we went down there when the rescue was still kind of towards the end of that and turned it into the recovery part and and then mm-hmm. just some of the pictures that I took at that, you know, I would think I was a junior in high school when that happened. Um, yeah. But just, God, just, just gut-wrenching, you know, what, what transpired that day, you know, it's not the same situation that you dealt with, but it's just still a, a moment in your life where you experience something like that. And just, it's like, how could this happen? You know, yeah. But it was a critical event. And I'm sure there was a lot of people, the tragedy <laughs> that came out of there, that had to deal with that, you know, yeah. the loss of a child, the loss yeah. of a loved one is just, uh, yeah. So to give yeah. people tools and it, it doesn't fix it. Believe me, I just lost a very good friend in the line of duty and mm-hmm. I know all those tools. And yet the grief is just so overpowering yeah. that, you know, you try to use those tools and you, you try to, and it's still, you're still human. You're mm-hmm. still going to have that grief, but these are the ways that you can help alleviate that some of that. So mm-hmm. you, you're not, you're not hurting as bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there was a lot of good that came out of that too, just like what y'all situation with advancements and security protocols and, and all that stuff. And um, just, uh, yep. yeah. and we got to focus on the good. Yeah. Cause yeah, uh, like you said, good comes out of every bad situation. And if we focus on that, it, it helps the healing. Yep. Absolutely, man. So, well, um, not that we're going to end on a bad note, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I want to thank you so much for being on, dude. This has been one of the best podcasts I've been a part of. So I really appreciate your time and stuff, but let everybody know, um, where they can follow you on all the platforms. Cause I know you're right on top of all the social media stuff oh my like goodness. I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, John Norris is extremely good at that stuff. So, uh, but we have Warden's Watch podcast on Instagram. Uh, we have Warden's Watch podcast on Facebook. Uh, we have a TikTok that I don't pay attention a whole lot to, but uh, uh, Morgan Day developed that, and she said it was for her generation, not for mine, uh, <laughs> which I, I, I would agree with her. And um, 
yeah and uh, wardenswatch.com you can go right there we've we've got a little store you can buy some warden's watch apparel uh we can also get john norris's book uh the hidden war you can get my children's book there as well uh, a cowboy in the woods uh, as well as listen to every podcast on, on, on there as well if you're not you know savvy with a smartphone and go to apple Podcasts or spotify or google podcasts um, but we're all we're all on the main platforms just like you are and uh yeah no this has been a, a very dynamic uh, conversation very pleasurable derek i, I enjoyed it i appreciate um, that man I'm yeah glad, i'm glad we finally got together i got your uh email from our buddy tom roland and i was like man i gotta get wayne on the show finally so i've been wanting to have yeah. him on and and uh, man you responded right back so i appreciate it uh, so yeah i know i've learned a lot from tom just listening to him and uh, how he goes about things and stuff yeah, and, uh, yeah i mean it's, it's definitely uh we, we all got little things that we can help each other out with and th- th- this is great and I, I appreciate it well me too man well i appreciate it and um and, uh, we'll have to do it again we'll, we'll get some um, there's a lot of other stuff we can talk about so we'll have to do another episode sometime so. absolutely no. all right wayne great well, you take we'll talk care, about man. that oversized red drum or something that you great thanks there all right wayne good to you buddy all right Anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep-sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.